0: Welcome to the Everything Eichler podcast, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And today, I am talking again with my buddy CJ Davis, a good friend of mine, and he is with Montana Decoy. Um, some people rumor you're the president. I don't know. I, you know, chief bottle washer. What's what's do you do? You, do you, you don't really like carry a card around like I would that says president, like in huge letters. But that's kind of your title, right?
1: It is my title, yeah, but oh, it, it okay. encompasses a lot of things. We're a small company, so everybody does
0: everything. I got you. So you, you could have a card that said, like, you know, bathroom cleaner, stock manager, uh, you know, floor, you know, super warehouse supervisor, the whole nine yards. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, everything, everything.
0: Right. And would the other employees agree that you should have all those titles or that really, no, probably just Especially press
1: Especially the bathroom cleaner
0: one. Okay, got You, <laughs> <laughs> you cracked me up. I always love talking to you, CJ, because I – I I enjoy you. I respect you. I have a good time with you. We've hunted together multiple times. We've got another hunt plan this year too. I'm pretty excited about.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. Are we going to Virginia or South Carolina? Did you back up your mind?
0: I thought we were doing both. I'll be honest. I thought we were doing both. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't know if you're going to cut me down to one. I guess I'll flip a coin. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I guess I totally I I I invited myself on an extra one. Sorry.
1: Well, considering how many tags I drew this year, which was none, I got kind of an open fall. So we could <laughs> probably make that
0: work. Your your dance card is open. Is that what you're telling me? Wow,
1: I'm like over for four. It's it's awful for me. Now some of them, you know, they were total shots in the dark, like that inaugural Virginia inaugural means the first one. Just case. Oh, thank but you. The, I uh, always wonder. The odds of that one were awful anyway. But I still consider <laughs> I put in. I didn't draw. That's still a zero.
0: Well, the one we should have drawn, Wyoming, Uh, that guy called me the other day and said, you know, I cannot believe you guys didn't draw. I was like, it's because I put in with C.J. Davis and I put in (laughs) by myself. I would have drawn that amazing L tag, but C.J., you're kind of holding me back
1: like a a little anchor. Man, everybody i talk to, that whole draw thing just seems to be, I don't know, man, it's just crazy the amount of points some things take and it changes year to year. It's kind of always been that case, but like, Last year, you and I would have drawn that with the points we had and had points to spare.
0: Yes, uh, and, and everybody I've talked to, and I'm sure everybody listening, if they put in for tags can relate to this, but it's been like that all over the country. I mean, a lot of people aren't aren't drawing, but I've also heard that license sales and, and hunters, believe it or not, are up a tremendous amount, and a lot of that they, they feel is still hold over from COVID, and some of it some of it has to do with the economy. People are like, hey, man, I'm going to go out hunting. And they, they must be better yeah. hunters than me because if I figure out what I what I spend on hunting, I'm probably way better <laughs> off going and buying beef at the store, to be perfectly yeah. honest. It's not, it's going not, to work. Yeah, not,
1: going to work would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not I'm not proud that it would be cheaper to buy stuff at the store, but it probably would.
1: <laughs>
0: and and what's even more frightening, I gotta tell you this, and anybody listening, you know, if you're listening to a Montana Decoy podcast, you probably listening to uh, learn a little bit about decoys and decoying. And we're going to get to that, but I've got to tell you, maybe I've got to tell you a scary statistic. And I actually thought of you the other day when I was working on it. Um, Rocky mountain elk foundation. I was talking to one of the guys over there and we were talking about statistics and elk hunting. And I said something about, you know, it, it being super hard to kill an elk, or or that a lot of people didn't understand how low the percentage was, and it, it was almost like he was calling a little BS on me. He's like, "Oh yeah, really? Well, what are the statistics?" So I was like, "Well, I'm, you know, I know what they were a couple of years ago because I researched it, but I'm going to research it again." So we literally went on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, and anybody can do this and look up, you know, hunting statistics. But here's what'll blow you away. So last year with all Weapons, so all manners of take, so that includes archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. In all seasons, that's archery, seasons, muzzleloader season, rifle season, the success rate on elk was 16%. Now, here's what they don't really break down for you, but you can look at the numbers and figure it out yourself. That seems low to me. Now listen to how low it goes. If you break out just bulls cuz most people don't come to Colorado when you know I, I, to me and I know to you small bulls and cows and everything is really a trophy, but to most people when they think of elk hunting they think of a really good bull. You know like the bull you shot when that you decoyed in on the on the state land. Yeah. So, you know that's what people yeah. think of. So, so we got to tell that story by the way. I know we've talked about it before, but I'm still pretty proud of you. And I was even more proud when I when I heard about the statistics. So, it's only 9 <laughs> only 9% success rate on bulls. Now, what people don't realize is that 9% success rate for those that go, oh, well, that's not too bad. That includes, now listen to this, CJ. It includes guided hunts. It includes private land hunts. And it includes limited draw or you might put in for 24 years to draw a tag in an area that's 100% every single year. So, Imagine that 9% success rate on bulls, and that's what they'll, you know, that, that that's listed. But then, if you take and start subtracting, so like, I even looked it up. I was like, wow, what is my success rate? You know what I mean? Like, if the statewide mm-hmm. success rate is only 16%, I eclipse that. Like, you know, I, I'm not counting misses, just kills. Um, I looked ours up, and last year, I think it was like 60% on kills. Now, we were, I think, 85% on shots. But I looked at it and I went, so personally, I helped boost the Colorado Division of Wildlife's success rate. And so did the 1,500 or 2,000 other outfitters in the state. So...
1: There's that many in the state of Colorado.
0: Oh, it's unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of us. There's a lot lot of people that don't want to work, man. They just want to, you know, tromp around (laughs) in the woods, you know, which I don't blame anybody. No problem. But there's a lot of them. And and that's even a tough number to figure out. CJ, I tried to figure that out the other day. But they actually, to get an outfitter's license, they include that in like river raft guides, fishing guides. So I actually tried to research that, which is a good question you ask, on how many hunting outfitters, you know, there were in the state of Colorado. And Maybe there's a way to find it, but I couldn't figure it out, which don't be surprised by that. <laughs> there may yeah. be that number.
1: Hey, let me ask you this. Yes, sir. So you say outfitter and, you know, you hear about a guide. So if it's a one guy operation or one person operation, can they be an outfitter? or does that... Does- do those terms mean different things in the state of Colorado? Is there an outfitter's license and yes, a guide's
0: license? Oh, good question. No, Um. so you can you, you have to be an outfitter in the state of Colorado um, to take anything from somebody to take them hunting. Like, it is a felony. Like, you couldn't take hunt, a hunter, for example, out on, uh, you know, state land or federal land or, you know, public land and uh, take them out on an elk hunt and have them even buy you dinner. That That is considered an exchange for something, and that's a felony in the state of Colorado. So, yeah, we, you have to have an outfitter's license, and then guides have to work under a licensed outfitter. So, the, it's really all about the outfitter's license. There's not, in some states, there's separate guide license, like Alaska and things like that. In Colorado, it's an outfitter's license. Other people have to guide under your outfitter's license if they if they want to be legal, and then they have to carry first aid and CPR. They have to be trained in some of that stuff. So, but, uh, but, but back to this crazy story. Now, anybody that's listening to this, and, and we're about to talk about, you know, decoys and, and the company itself and, and how CJ beat the odds, you know, by, by a tremendous amount. But here's what's interesting, CJ. If, let's say that success rate, let's go back to that bull success rate of 9%, okay? Out of that bull success rate of 9%, how much do you think it would drop if you took out Outfitted hunts, private land hunts, and limited draw hunts, where guys put in, like I said, for over 20 years to draw exclusive areas that may only have two or four tags, and it's 100% every year.
1: Man, it would seem like it would go so low, because you're saying you're at 60-something percent. I mean... Yes. It seems like it's almost not even on the chart anymore if you take all that out.
0: of See, uh, and I'm right on track with you, buddy. And and I guess one of the reasons I wrote the article for Rocky Mountain Health Foundation was I just want people to realize that realistically, you're probably looking at close to a 1% chance, maybe 2%, but pretty darn low. So I tell people that, you know, when you go out. When you go out hunting, it's great. You know, part part of the excitement is getting ready and just being out there and hanging out with your buddies and getting to see the Aspens change colors and all the other cool critters you get to see. That is beautiful, and that is definitely a huge part of it. But realistically, just like, you know, you showing up at a basketball game, you're there to kind of win. You know, now you know you may not. You know, you know, you may blow your Achilles or, or 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 that tendon underneath your foot or whatever, but you are you are realistically not there to lose. And so, you know, that's the end goal. Now you are still happy. I feel like
1: you are picking on me. I don't I don't know why.
0: I am sorry. I don't I don't mean it to seem that way. I just know you've lost quite a few basketball games. Um But I just, we don't go there to lose. And just like hunters, I think we all agree. You know, we're, we're, it, our end goal is to try and harvest an animal. But, you know, is it the end all to be all? Of course not. And that's why so many people um, or a lot of people turn into trophy hunters. Jesse, who's helping me run this podcast right now, you know, Lieutenant Jesse was the National Guard. You know, she was hunting turkeys last year, and I was like, she was like, oh, I called in another turkey. I'm like, why didn't you shoot it? She's like, well, it was jake. And, you know, she just enjoyed being out in the woods. I was like, why didn't you shoot the jake? You could have eaten the jake. She's like, well, I know, but I had seen some big gobblers, and I wanted to shoot them. So that kind of lends itself back to what I'm saying is, You know, a lot of times we go and our end goal is to harvest an animal, but that's not really the most important part of it. However, if we're honest, especially in Colorado, especially with a big game animal, most people go out with the goal to try and harvest one. And so, you know, I tell people, you know, hey, it's great to have those dreams and watch those TV shows or, or like, and, and I'll pick on Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Elk Magazine or Western Hunter. When they show pictures on the cover of their magazine, have you ever seen a cow? <laughs> yeah, you know never what have. I'm you, so it's all about that dream that you know that uh, you know this is my goal. I you know, everybody wants that big six by six. Or everybody wants that beautiful bull. And I guess my whole thing is telling people like, hey, you better be darn proud if you get a shot at a young cow, because if you realistically want to eat some elk meat and tote one out, you might want to let that arrow go. and you know it's just a matter of what you're out there for but I also didn't want people to have unrealistic expectations or be hard on themselves like man I'm a horrible hunter I've been I've been to Colorado eight times and I've never taken an elk and I'm like hey buddy you're still above the average (laughs) if you've only been eight (laughs) times and haven't (laughs) taken one you got two more trips to give it a whirl (laughs) You know, to, to be right in there tucked in with the average so you know so you know to me Uh, some of the little things that make a difference is sometimes it's the challenges we put on ourselves and you know and of course that's not counting all the misses that happened. You know, there's a lot of those and and our success rate would be a lot better if we if we didn't have misses. But circling back, you beat the odds by harvesting a beautiful bowl, public land, and you did it with a Montana decoy. And sometimes it's those little tiny things that will help tip the percentages in your favor. So, if you would, talk a little bit, because you're one of the guys that have beaten the odds. Um, talk a little bit about using your decoy, the Montana elk decoy, to lure in an elk close, and then you harvested it with a recurve bow. So, I don't even know what percentage you're in. I'm going to tell you that's, a, you know, you're, you're, you're in a very small group there, buddy. Pretty cool. Well,
1: I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm sure it was hard for you to actually say that. but It was. I, you I, know the, I, I choked uh, on it
0: a little, but it's true
1: make a lot of decoys and and i love them and obviously i feel like they're a great tool to have in your toolbox as a hunter but it doesn't matter how good the decoy is there's got to be an elk there to see it right <laughs> good and point yes sometimes that's the hardest part is just finding elk and, and and we've got a lot of great tools nowadays to you know remote scout without ever sitting setting foot on a piece of property anywhere in the country of the world for that matter but you know the one thing those apps and all that information that you can find online—it never really tells you exactly where those animals are standing when you get there, and how many other hunters have been standing there before you get there. So there's all <laughs> there's still all these variables. That was and a great point.
0: That, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That yeah, was really you good. You take
1: somebody that's on the. Thank you. You take somebody that's on the East Coast, and they have seven to ten days to burn. And they're only going out there to hunt. They can't drive out there and scout. And if you take all that, you go back to your 1% number, and you take those residents out of that number, or the people that live west of the Mississippi out of it, and for a guy that's on the East Coast that wants to go elk hunting, and he's wanting to do it DIY with an over-the-counter tag, that's got to be like, gosh, I mean, is that like winning the lottery to go out there and kill an elk or something? That's crazy.
0: Right. No, I agree. It's
1: just being too stupid to quit is like one of the best things you can get in your mentality to go <laughs> elk hunting if you want to do it that way, I feel like.
0: Oh, I agree. And that's
1: not to say that I, I did anything other than get lucky. I, I, We had hunted hard for, gosh, three or four days. and. We call them ghost gobbles when we're turkey hunting around here. You'll hear, like, just enough of a gobble to know that it was a gobble, but you can't really figure out where it is. And no matter what you do, he won't gobble again.
0: Ghost gobbles.
1: <laughs> so we were hearing ghost bugles is kind of what it amounted to. But um, it was just right place, right time, being too stupid to quit for me. And bull just kept in- – <laughs> that's the other thing that surprises me or surprised me the first time I went out to your country is in your mind, you're thinking, thinking it's all Askins and meadows and easy walking. And Boy, you go through a burn, which is where a lot of the elk like to be. And that burn is, I don't know, four or five years old. It gets kind of nasty thick in there, doesn't it?
0: Oh man. I walked through this last fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to get a horse through there in some places.
1: It's amazing. And so you, you hear an elk bugle, and if you don't get the second bugle, you really don't want to walk through that stuff to try to force him to bugle again, but that's kind of what you have to do. You just have to power through that stuff. And I'd gotten up to the edge of this little flat and uh, I didn't even know it, but there was some wallows up there and there was a lot of elk sign, but it was the first time I'd stepped foot up there really for me and sitting on a rock trying to decide what I wanted to do next and having to see a tree moving across the flat from me and realized it was an elk rubbing its antlers on it. So I pulled out a decoy and the wind was in my face. And I put the decoy behind me because I'm by myself. I don't have anybody calling or running the decoy behind me. right? And I want the elk to see the decoy and walk, you know, focus on it and walk past me as his plan to get to the decoy. And, and hopefully I'd get a shot. And it just worked out fantastic that way. I had, a, I had the decoy set up. I moved up. I got a little bit of cover behind me. Uh, did some calling, and the first thing to show up was a spike, which I would have been thrilled with. Don't get me wrong, but in that part of the state, it's huge spike. Right. So yep. Got to be a four-pointer. So sitting there looking at the spike, the spike's looking at the decoy, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, that could have been what I saw rubbing that, that tree over there. That just doesn't make any sense. And, and finally, he kind of wanders past me, doesn't get my wind, and I'm still sitting there, and then I hear a bugle from – Towards where the rubbing was happening on that tree and finally that bull he comes by me just a perfect I think it was a 15 yard shot which is just barely in my wheelhouse with a recurve. <laughs> just got lucky but it's just being too stupid to quit it was really you know making yourself get up every morning I know there's elk around because you can hear the bugles but they weren't really talking like you want them to talk and they weren't really responding like you want them to respond they're just doing what they do they're elk that's, just being in the right place at the right time, but man, <clears throat> it just takes a lot of a lot of determination to keep pushing through it.
0: Well, you brought up a good point. Just getting yourself up sometimes that's part of the part of the battle and getting out there. But you know, to me, what's great about that is not only were you out there because, like you said, I I cracked up at your comment earlier when you said, you know, you know, it's great to have an awesome. You know, decoy. But if the elk aren't there, and and you're right. So I, I mean, I always thought it was a, you know, if you build it, they will come. But uh, that's not really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you brought up a great point. You know, a lot of people are probably hunting in areas where there's not elk, and then you got to move and go find the elk. But you know, you stayed out there, and, and what was neat to me is you had another tool in your basket. And I tell people, man, there's all kinds of you know, and, and it's a million little things. You know, I've had people say, you know, what's What's the one thing that, you know, will help me harvest more elk? And I said, you know what? It's, it's not necessarily one big, huge thing. It's like a whole bunch of tiny things that add up a little bit of percentage and increases your odds this much more. And, you know, some of that are super obvious, but it's, you know, having your bow or your rifle or your muzzleloader sighted in, knowing what you can shoot, knowing how to shoot, checking your gear before you go, you know, scouting, like you mentioned, there's all kinds of ways to scout, you know, figure out where, you know, where the elk are. Again, like you mentioned, being out in the field, you know what I mean? You're not going to shoot them at camp. So being out there and spending the time out in the field, then it's reading the wind, having, you know, maybe using some type of wind detector to, to read the wind. You also got to read the animals. There's, there's so many tiny variables, you know, clothes that don't make noise. I mean, we could go on and on about all these tiny little variables that, that all add up to somebody having a successful hunt but again and I've heard you say it to me a decoy is one of those things you know elk aren't really educated to decoys yet they're just not there's fortunately well you know you may say unfortunately but fortunately there's not a ton of people using them still Percentage wise, so I mean, and once once it gets to where an elk sees my Montana decoy and runs the other way, I'm probably going to be like, "Mm, okay, time to put it up. But that time's not there yet. (laughs) You know, they're they're still like turkeys when we first started using decoys, and you could put up a a brown bag with a red you know marker, (laughs) and a gobbler try and mount it. And so, you know, what's neat to me is is a lot of the elk that I show decoys to will interact with it, will come right up to it. We've had them. Move it like literally poke the decoy with their nose. Um, I've had them, you know, run right up to it, bugle at it. Um, you know, I've gotten to where, and I, I go overboard. But just like a decoy spread when I'm hunting ducks, sometimes, especially later in the season or when I'm hunting, you know, elk that are grouped up, or you know, even in the in the rut, sometimes I won't just set up one decoy. Now, let me preface that by saying, if I'm hunting an area that's really close, I'm not going to haul three decoys. You know you know, 10 miles back into the backcountry, but if I'm in an area where it makes sense or I can drive my truck close or maybe it's an area I know I'm going to hunt, I've I've set up three decoys in a meadow before because it just looks more realistic sometimes. In the thick brush when you're hunting and the rut, one decoy is great because they know they may only see one elk, but as it gets later, if I'm hunting field edges, man, I've popped up multiple decoys for the same reason I use multiple turkey decoys or the same reason I use, you know, a bunch of different duck decoys is it just looks more realistic. And it makes me feel better sometimes. But, you know, it's just one of those things that I go, that looks real.
1: You're talking about reading the animal or the elk earlier. Well, you also, you have to read the environment too. So if you're hunting a meadow where there's a lot of elk to congregate there, then you're absolutely right. You need more than one decoy because that's what they expect to see. Oh. so you're you got to read the animal which is like it's move is it spooky is it like unsure when it's coming in i need to be real cautious on my calling and my, and my movement is it bugling its brains out and charging right in well you know you get away with a lot more you can push the envelope so it's reading the animal and it's reading the environment And it's, you know you're right they are very susceptible to decoys for whatever reason lack of pressure just their environment i don't i don't really understand it because like you say turkeys have gotten wiser and wiser i remember hearing stories back when decoys were illegal in Alabama, of people draping a trash black trash bag over a bush with a red Coke can and having turkeys just attack it.
0: <laughs> that's, that's exactly because they'd be never great. seen them. They weren't used to it. And now you look at a mature gobbler now, especially on public land, man, he'll eyeball it. If it didn't move in, they'll just go. I mean, I've literally seen deco- turkeys come in, look at decoys and leave. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty educated turkey.
1: Yeah, they're just super cautious almost. It's, it's like they, they're they looking for something to be wrong, where elk come in looking for something to be right. Exactly.
0: And, you know, the decoy to me adds sometimes a lot to my hunt. And, you know, the, the whitetail decoys is a whole other facet, you know, and, and I was so tickled to see you guys constantly renovating that. And that's what's fun is you guys keep doing stuff to make them better. But I've had some pretty amazing hunts like Illinois when you guys very first came out with the whitetail decoys is is I set one up in a field in Illinois at a buddy of mine's place and I thought man you know these deer are traveling along this river bottom but the stands over here but you could see across the field and I'm like I'm gonna try the decoy now I'm hunting with my recurve so I need a relatively close shot and sure enough now it's a young buck but you know I think anything's a trophy it could have been a monster and either way i'd have been tickled but this young buck's cruising by this little well, i call it a creek bottom i guess more than a river but it's out there oh i don't know 150 200 yards and it looks up and sees my decoy and runs to it like it was so excited <laughs> to see another deer it was like whoa there's another deer and runs all the way across the field and i'm so excited and it's a i was lucky to shoot it because i was so excited but i shoot this deer and literally it drops right near the decoy and i'm like that was awesome. I mean, I could literally credit shooting that deer to the decoy. And one of my biggest white tails um and actually it's the same place where you shot a white tail out east there on the farm. I set up a decoy and uh, I didn't know it was going to be a blizzard, CJ. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been in the tree stand. But the video is beautiful cuz this blizzard rolls in and I got poor Tim He's sitting over a tree stand, freezing to death. I'm laughing. He's caked up. With, he's from Georgia, and he wasn't quite dressed for it. He was. I mean, he, he had probably six inches of snow caked up on him. And don't get me wrong, I had snow on me too. But but uh, it just seemed funnier because I don't think he was ready for it. I was. But um, but to watch this buck come through the snow and and I don't know what your specific preference is, and you'll have to talk to me a little bit about how you set up. Um, you know, for people listening, they'll probably want to hear from. From you on it, but I tend to set up a decoy sometimes 20. You know, I've done multiple things, but my normal go to is to set it up either 20, 25 yards. And again, like you said, you got to read the terrain and and read where you think the animal's going to be. But I put it upwind to me. So if a deer comes in, a lot of times they'll circle as they're coming in downwind to the decoy. And I think some of the reasons they do that is like a buck scent check and doze, like, especially during the rut, like, okay, is she ready or not? And if she's not ready, he'll just move on. But it saves him getting kicked in the, you know, kicked in the shin by just cruising by and let me just see, let me scent check her and see if she's ready to go. It's like asking to buy a girl a drink at the bar. You know what I'm saying? So um, I shot this huge buck because he saw that decoy and he was sent checking, and I watched him, you know, messing around with a bunch of these other does, and he saw the decoy, and he came over to check it out. And it was, it was the biggest whitetail I've shot on, you know, on the farm there. But the decoy caused him and other deer to come my way instead of moving out across the field in any other direction. So, you know, I've had multiple hunts, you know, and even the mule deer, where I go, I would not have taken that, or my client wouldn't have taken that, if I wouldn't have the decoy now, you know, you've said, I want to talk about your whitetail setup because most people are whitetail hunters, but I want to throw in something that you told me, and you and me have talked about just like anything, whether it's rattling, bleeding, grunting, bugling, you know, nothing works every time. And, you know, I don't want anybody listening to think, man, every time Fred throws out a decoy animals come running in and he shoots them, you know, (laughs) it, it may, it may be one out of 10, but it's enough, and I can accredit the decoy solely to enough harvest that it was 100% worth having out there. So, again, that's just those little things that start adding up, you know, to me on what makes it successful. But talk a little bit about, because we both shoot traditional equipment, and I switch back and forth. The buck I just actually mentioned um, was a compound kill because the weather was so nasty. I really didn't want to sit there with a recurve because I knew I was going to be wearing super bulky clothes and the compound was going to mm-hmm. give me advantage. The other one I told you about in Illinois, you know, that was recurve and I've harvested others with, with both. But the other way I'll set up is sometimes, depending again on the wind terrain, I'll set up like that stand, the newer whitetail decoy, because of the pop-up stand, I'll set it almost underneath my tree stand or underneath my ladder stand and to me that's a perfect setup because I can either use the decoy or not use a decoy. So talk a little bit about your setup on white whitetail and then talk about that newer setup that that uh, that I've tested out and I know you have too. You know, the pop-up
1: so I, I look at decoys just like you're talking about. They're, they're a tool just like my grunt call or my rattling antlers or whatever. And, you know, it amazes me. Guys will haul rattling antlers or grunt tubes with them every time they go into the woods. And they don't expect them to work every time. But they'll take one of our decoys, which the way ours are designed, they're a whole lot easier to carry than a lot of stuff that's out there. They'll take that one decoy, one time, set it up, they don't kill a deer over it, and they're done with it. And I always ask them, how many bucks have you grunted at, or rattled at, or both that you just killed? But yet you keep carrying your rattling antlers and your, your grunt call. They're all a tool, and the more you use them, the better you get at it. and you learn to read the situation, whether there's a deer in that situation yet or not, you learn to read the the land and stuff like that. And I'm still learning a lot about it. And and the way I approach it, um, you know, I hunt a lot on the on the East Coast just where i live and where i hunt where i grew up and family and all that stuff and one of the most difficult
0: places to hunt whitetails in the world by the way
1: i yeah. think so but you know everybody says where they hunt is the toughest <laughs> place. but you're kind of a victim of circumstances <laughs> in a lot of that. You. it's thick it's you know in the early archery season everything's thick and green and you know you don't you're not usually hunting over great big fields in a lot of places you don't have a lot of visibility so i, I approach it a lot of times with you know, it's smaller food plots, By smaller. It could be a quarter acre to, to three or four acres in some places, maybe even larger than that. But, you know, if my first step is what am I hunting with and what do I know about the deer? Well, if I'm hunting a specific funnel, maybe a ridge top or somewhere that has a saddle in it, it's got an oak tree dropping so that I'm 90% sure every deer that comes up there is going to come by that oak tree. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting there waiting on the deer to show up because right. all i can do is mess it up but if i'm hunting a big oak flat that has several oak trees dropping and those deer can come and go and pop up here and there i don't really have a line of travel then i start thinking about calling and decoying and all that stuff and if i'm hunting with a rifle i set up different if i'm hunting with a compound i set up different if i'm hunting with a recurve i set up different and for me i'm i'm really enamored with hunting with a recurve right now this part of my life so it's usually that's where my focus is and i actually will either put the decoy behind me because i'm going into somewhere that i'm not being picky and any deer that comes through there is probably going to get shot at so i don't really care about them winding or messing up the situation or whatever i put it behind me so and i hope that i have an idea of at least where they're going to come out and i can draw them by me to get a shot i'm I'm just purely using that decoy to adjust their line of travel enough to get them close to me. And if I'm compound, I'm probably doing what you're talking about, putting it a little bit out in front of you. But, um, you know, because I've got a little more effective range, honestly, is what it comes down to. And with that recurve, I need them really close. You know, my deer in South Carolina are small and whippy, I like to call them. So <laughs> You can make a great shot, but the deer's not there when the arrow gets there with the recurve a lot of times. So I really want them as close as I can culture to get them.
0: Talk a little and bit about that, this pop-up, stand. I want to talk a little bit about well, that. I was give oh, you, you I'm sorry. Gotta, you got to give me a minute. No, no, no. Forgetting. I'm just making sure you didn't forget because I think that is like one of the really cool innovations that you guys have added to decoy hunting. So I'm giving you credit here on that.
1: Wow. Thank you. So after doing all of the above mentioned stuff for years, I started thinking, you know, I'm looking at his buck and he's coming straight to me or he's walking sideways. and I could grunt at him and read his body language before I grunt at him or before I call to him. And it's kind of like you're picking the scenario. Or what if it's a small buck and I don't want to shoot him? I don't really want him coming over to me because all he can do is mess up the situation, right? If you got a little buck standing there, he's going to watch and catch you when you go to move to get in position to shoot the one you want, or at least that's what happened to me. So I want the deer I don't want to shoot to go on by me and not hang around and not be a part of the equation. So I started thinking, you know, I, I only grunt when I want to. Right, so good I like point. The grunt going off the whole time, so I wondered how I, we could come up with an idea of you know just showing the decoy only when you want to. So we developed this tip up stand, we call it, and it's a very simple um, process. You know, it, it's a it's a lot like the quick stand, which I know comes with your antelope that we make, and a lot of guys buy those to go with the other antelope or the blue cow or elk. Even that's a more of a stalking apparatus, if you will. Whereas the tip-up stand is something that just sets the decoy up on the ground. But you control when it tips up, if you will, just with a rope from your stand. And, and it's, a, it's a simple process. But if you think about it, you've got a deer out there, and it's coming to you. And it's a deer you want to shoot, and it's coming to you. Don't do anything. Let it walk up to you and give you the shot. But if that deer is passing out of range, you know, my mentality, I could do a soft grunt. All right, well, he ignored that. But he looked. I could do a little more aggressive grunt. He didn't come, but he looked again. So the next time I grunt, I've stood my decoy up. I've picked it up. So when he, when he hears the grunt and looks this time, not only did he hear the grunt, but he sees the deer. So it's just kind of putting more, putting more tools in your basket and letting you control more when you show that decoy to him instead of just having it out there all the time because, you know, deer comes up to that decoy, and it hangs around it, that may not be so bad, but if it gets a whiff of human scent you left on it, or it catches you moving in the tree stand or something, and or starts it starts blowing, deer, you don't yep. want to shoot. Yeah, you just you just want that deer to go on by. You want to focus on the, the deer that you actually want to shoot. And it's just another neat tool that, you know, it doesn't work everywhere or at every setup because you got to be able to pull the rope and get it to, to tip up and, and display it like you want. And depending on the kind of tree you're in or stand you're in, you have to think through that a little bit. But again, like everything we build, it folds up. It's not it's not that much to add to a pack or to carry with you weight-wise or uh, how large it is once it's folded up. And it works with all of our whitetail decoys. It's something you could, you know, carry into some places or leave it home for other places. just another way of being out in the field and having another tool in your toolkit and, you know, us – trying to figure ways out to be more effective out there. And sometimes we limit ourselves with what we want to shoot. Sometimes we limit ourselves with the, with the weapon or the bow or the rifle we want to use. So, it, you know, it kind of changes the game a little bit. You just have to adapt your, your techniques and strategies for those things.
0: Well, and that realistic tail you guys put on that is on, I think that's a game changer too.
1: Yeah. Just that little bit of movement. And, you know, I know you like to use scents a lot. You can put the scent on the tail. And then at the end of the year, Toss the tail, and your decoy doesn't have that spin on it and it stays in a storage in your garage or whatever and gets really funky after a year. <laughs> well, But,
0: you know, you brought up such a great point, and think of how many times anybody listening, I guarantee has had this happen, because I've had it happen more times than I like to think, especially during the rut or pre-rut. You see that buck, and he's coming, and he's heading your way, and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, you see it stop and look and you're like, no, 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 and another deer walks out, and you see that deer, look at it, and instead of coming the way it's coming, that's going to give you a shot, it turns and goes directly to that other deer. How many times have you had that happen to you?
1: <laughs> way more uh, than I care to remember. that, But that's,
0: I think that's right in line with why you guys came up, and I know it's a tip-up, but sometimes it's into me, it seems like it's popping up there, but it, you know, the fact that you have that in your bag you can now compete with that you don't have to worry about that other deer showing up cuz i've even seen it happen where the buck hasn't even seen the other deer yet but i see it and then my panic mode starts i'm like oh no please don't see that other deer please don't <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying everybody can relate to that please don't look over there please don't look over there and then you see it happen and you're like no man and the it'll turn and go after it or even you've got that deer walking down your trail and all of a sudden a doe pops up somewhere else, and he runs to it. And I'm like, no, dang, you, you ran past me. You would have walked past me, but that other deer showed up. So I think that was like a super, super sharp idea. And I think we can put a picture with this podcast. Um, can we do that? I'm looking at Jesse. We might be able to put a picture online or something, but I've got a picture of that one buck that kept knocking over my Montana decoy every time I set it in the field. And I've got some really cool pictures of it. You know, literally just, it, it fell in love with that decoy. It was like, man, this is it. I'm not going anywhere. And then two more bucks came out in the field. And they are like, we can't have that buck loving on her. And, you know, I had three bucks around the decoy. So it was a pretty neat, neat experience for me. But CJ, it is always awesome talking to you i love your in the field experience i've loved hunting with you too we've had some great hunts together turkey we've hunted white tail we've hunted elk we've had some really good hunts together but
1: antelope we're supposed to be hunting elk again this fall but your bad luck didn't draw the tag we know we
0: both know who caused us not to get that tag and i think you feel guilty (laughs) about it to this day i had more preference points than you too so you literally when i say you drew me down you drew me down you know what I'm saying
1: yeah that that pains me greatly because that's the straight-up truth you, you <laughs> honestly are correct in saying I drug you down on that right? I'm
0: a I'm a giver I boy have what
1: a, kind of a new low have I hit uh, I'm no, I know right Fred Eichler down uh, <laughs> dude i
0: have a servant's heart i was willing to donate my points basically which is what i did to you so servant's heart that's what i call it but uh hey where do people need to go give give them your website if they want to go check out some of your stuff i know you got some good stuff in there and you've got some safety stuff i think on there too because safety is always you know uh, you know paramount concern that people have to consider when they're using decoys Uh, but go ahead and give them your website and all that good stuff
1: yeah, just go to montanadecoy.com. You can check out that new tip-up stand. And also, we have just uh, created and released a new decoy guide. We do, you know, one or two of those a year. This one's a big game one, so it has some elk, some antelope, uh just some deer tips, some great stuff in there. And all you got to do is enter your email address, and download, it's a free download. Um, but do check that out, and you can find all our stuff on there. We got a lot of great other blogs on there about hunting, just about everything.
0: And I've got some YouTubes on my channel that actually show the decoys at work in the field with elk and with whitetail and with mule deer and with turkeys and some other cool stuff. So, you know, go go and check that out. And uh, I'm just going to throw this in for people that are curious because you just did it uh, for some buddies of mine here just last month. I had a couple guys turkey hunting. They were heading out for sick of blacktail. And they asked me if you had a sick of blacktail decoy because they had seen the video and the TV show with me shooting that one sick of blacktail that I decoyed up, I mean, literally to you know, three yards, which was right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I was like, That's perfect. But, uh, you guys will also sometimes do custom decoys cause, uh, they literally, you know, they said, Fred, could you, could you call him? And I said, yeah. And I, I was name dropping. I was like, yeah, I know the president. Uh, let me just call him right now. So thanks for answering by the way. Cause they were kind of looking at me like, sure. He's going to answer Fred at six o'clock at night. And you actually did. So I probably interrupted dinner or something, but you picked up. And yeah. They- I didn't know it was you. I, just accidentally hit oh, I figured it had to be something like yeah. that, but they were impressed they were like wow you know so but uh, you actually you actually hooked those guys up um and and super reasonable price um you know, you know the same price basically is as, as the regular decoys that they had picked up at bass pro or cabela's and you made them a custom sickle blacktail decoy which was awesome and i can't wait to hear their stories and you know, when they come back but that's an option for guys too if you're hunting something crazy because you guys even made an oscillated turkey decoy for me that helped me take a turkey but i like people to know that Hey man, if there's something crazy you're going out after Montana decoy, um, if you've got a quality picture of it or can find one, um, you know, or you guys can, you can actually get a decoy made with that. So pretty dang neat. I, I may give you a hard time hey, that's about on putting. Our website. Go ahead. That's on your website that's on too.
1: Our website now too. It's kind of a direct thing. You just email us and we'll figure it out from there. But yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up too. That's a and we have built a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. I mean. Gosh, mountain lions, donkeys, or if, you know, guys going on trips in other countries, guys just wanting something that blends in with the non-target animals in the area. We do a, a whole bunch of that stuff.
0: Well, yeah, you guys dealt a nil guy for me too. When I think about it, I've had quite a few custom-made decoys because nil guy's not a big enough market for you guys really to maybe carry one, but there's enough, guy, enough guys wanting to hunt nil guy that you know, I've got a few buddies out there, the guide form that were like, oh, well, you got to call your buddy up, see if he could make me a nil guy decoy. So you guys have done that too. So I love that you're doing that. And is it extra for you to put my face on the butt of one? Cause I noticed you did that with my buddies. <laughs> It's very yeah, it's it's, it's very it. it's very small and almost unnoticeable, but yeah, I'm I am i I'm waiting to I'm waiting to have them call up. You were very proud that you put my face on the butt of that. And <laughs> that's uh that's a little humiliating. I, I'm gonna try and buy those back from them when they come back from Alaska, just so you know I just don't want that running around on the market.
1: Worst case the guy that has the one with your face on the butt, every deer he shows it to it spooks. That's gonna be bad. <laughs> i love it
0: (laughs) cj thanks so much for taking your time and sharing some of your knowledge with decoys and uh, you know thanks for constantly innovating and and doing cool stuff i think it makes a huge difference that you uh you're an avid hunter and and you've got some say you know into what's going on there so i appreciate it buddy
1: hey it's always a pleasure talking to you and thanks for uh, making the time to visit with me too all right brother